Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hallelujah. I don't know what's going on this morning, but the words of the worships were so wonderful, weren't they? I mean, uh, Ruth didn't have a clue what I was preaching on, and I didn't know what she was going to sing, but it's all about knowing him. It's all about knowing the king, getting to know him. And that's what's on my heart today. It's all about him. It's about understanding more of him, his mission here on earth, getting to know his personality, everything that makes him tick. We're created to know him. For centuries, people have gone to church and left not knowing Jesus. How can you go to church for 30, 40 years of your life and not change? But that's what's happened. People have gone away not knowing Jesus. He's more than just a stained glass image on a window and a, a sad old face in an oil painting. He's alive. He's alive. You're meant to know him. Your very being is to know Christ. He's alive. He's alive. You're meant to know him every single point of his life. It's a journey through your life to to know him, to read him more. He's fully human. If we read from Philippians 2, Jesus here, Paul has been describing Jesus about being fully human. But uh, Lord, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus right now, Father God. Speak to us, Lord. Speak through me, God. I love you, Lord. Jesus, reveal more of yourself this morning to every single heart that's hungry and thirsty for you this morning, O God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that signs and wonders will follow your word, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here right now. I pray, Lord, that every single person you have a destiny for their lives, O mighty God. And I pray in the mighty name, Lord. That we will live different as we came in. That we will know more of you and be hungry and thirsty for you because you are the very reason that we exist. To know our creator, to know your will for our lives, oh God. To make sense of what's going on, God. But Jesus, you are awesome. I want to know you more. As Ruth said in the song this morning, make it our prayer. I want to know him more. And Father God, reveal more of yourself this morning to us all, God. In your precious name, amen. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, it's going to read from verse, verse 5, I think, yeah. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave, gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. So why are we here today? We are meant to know and to love Jesus. And I want to look at Jesus' journey here, journey with Jesus. And it also matches what we in our journey, to pick out what Jesus has done on his journey and, 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 and adopt that in our journey with Jesus. We're journeying with Jesus and we need to look what Jesus done and have that characteristics in our lives as we're walking with him from start to finish. And he's quite a big God, and there's a lot of things about God. And I can't cram all that in half an hour. <laughs> so I'm going to speak for two hours and a bit. No, no. We, it's so much. And I can only just get a little snippet of it. But you've got to make it your life's mission to get to know the rest of it. I can only do a little bit. But I pray this Holy Spirit will just reveal more of him. We are meant to know him. And as I said, religion over the years is this obscure Jesus, an unobtainable God. You can't get to him. You have to go through mediators to get to him. But Jesus died, so the curtain was torn, so you come direct access to him. So wonderful. When I had that revelation, it was just like freedom. It was the, all the bondage of religion just gone. Hallelujah. So your life. Your very life depends on knowing him. If you're going to fulfill every part of your destiny that God has for you, you've got to know your creator. You've got to know him intimately and personally. And you can. That's the good news. You can. You can. But when you read the Bible, when you read Jesus' words, without some of the understanding of him behind the words, that can just be words on a page. So we can misinterpret what he's actually trying to say to us or understand about him. You know, social media, emailing, texting, it's got me into trouble sometimes. Because you can text things and say things, but without that smile or that personality behind the email, you could send the wrong message. Who, who sent the wrong message regretted sending the wrong message? You know. the wrong, And, and now... The, Everyone's crazy about these uh, symbols on phones and you put all these little faces, hearts and thumbs up, rainbows, all this kind of stuff. Nobody wants to speak anymore. They just put a load of symbols. And when I see these, I, I think, now what are they? Happy, sad, rainbow, thumbs up, heart, boom, boom. I, I, I don't get it. The personality's lost behind the message. I just don't know. Sometimes I'm writing a text message and I just I think, I can't do this. I put a text message out and I pick the phone up and I ring the person. I actually do. And I actually tell them, you know, I was writing the message, but I thought, this is how much easier to talk to you and tell you what I'm doing or what, what I want to say to you. Because what happens in is just, you've got email tennis, haven't you, or text message tennis all the time. So this is what happens with the Bible. Jesus' words and, and actions take on a different significance when you understand more of his personality. Yeah? It just opens your eyes. You think, I never saw that. You know, one, one passage in the Bible where at the wedding of Cana, Mary turns to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. Jesus responds with, woman, it's not my time. 
And that could be quite woman. But we know Jesus loved her. He adored her. He was arranging for her care on hanging on the cross. He loved her that much. But when you put that soft, that, that loving side to Jesus, that tenderness, that moment that he's marking the barrier, now I'm a son of God. She knew that she, he was pretty special. And <laughs> says, woman, it's not my time. There's a different flavor, there's a different softness to it. You've got to put Jesus' personality with the words. And in the context of where he is and what he's doing. It's time to blow away the fog of religion. That has clouded Jesus. He's at hand. He's alive. His spirit is here. Hallelujah. We need to set the scene of how he entered the world. As a baby. (laughs) He came to save the world. Us sinners. To forgive us of our sins. Now when he entered the world. He did not enter into a picture card. Holiday postcard in the Middle East somewhere. Fluffy Israel with trees and palm trees swinging around. He entered as a baby on the run. In Matthew 2.13, after Jesus' birth, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The baby Jesus has now entered into enemy territory. Enemy lines. This baby's now been it's like a covert operation, SAS-style military operation in the middle of the night. He's been smuggled out of the country and hid. He's entered into a time of genocide. Jesus has been hunted. Already, the saviour of the world is in enemy territory. This is the kind of background that Jesus has. And when his ministry began... 30 years later, men and demons then started to become hostile to him, wanted him dead. The leaders wanted him dead quickly because of the hostility that was coming. Straight away, enemy territory. But Jesus was direct and focused on the mission ahead. From start to finish, he was focused, had his personality, did all he had to do. But he was focused to the end goal. In that territory. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. The life of Jesus went as swift and straight as a thunderbolt. Almost in the manner of a military march. Certainly in the manner of the quest of a hero. Moving to his achievement or doom. He was focused. He knew what he had to do and did it. But it's with those characteristics and love and, and humor and joy, and strength, and courage that we all need to draw from him in our walk as we go from beginning to end. He was marching through his mission, displaying all the human emotions. But the biggest part of his journey for me was his humility. His humility. He did his journey with humility. In Philippians 2, we read... At verse 7, it says, Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humbled himself. We'll never grasp his humility, I don't think. 
the level of his humility. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us his humbleness more. Each day more, I'm staggered when I understand more of his, his humility. It's amazing. Humbled himself. just want to read from Daniel 7, 13 to 14. And I'm going to show you where this is. Daniel, the prophet in Babylon, he has visions. And God talks to him in many ways. He saved him from the lions and, and all the things that happened there. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man. Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. The Ancient of Days being a father. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The coronation of King Jesus. The greatest day in history after the resurrection. But yet... He humbled himself on a cross. If anyone deserves a crown or a title, an MBE or an OBE, it's Jesus. He's worthy. Humility. The world adores other people and leaders have posters and pictures all around the town squares of people. But it's Jesus who deserves such acclamation. And how did his humility start? The eternal son of God, light of light, nine months in Mary's womb. Going through the birth canal, surrounded by dust and cattle in his birth. Learning to walk. The word of God had to learn to talk again. He who calls the stars by name had to learn the names of everything again. Or was he born with the vocabulary of English dictionary? God who then fed all the animals and the birds and the plants suddenly had to be spoon fed. Tying his own shoes. John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. But now the son of God had to learn to tie his own shoes again. And imagine Jesus at seven years old looking in the carpenter's shed of his earthly father Joseph, watching him do some carpentry. The one who hung the galaxies together now had to learn how to knock two pieces of wood together. The humility is beyond the words of what he, glory to God from that coronation moment, had to do to come into this world. God, I just bow my knee to you, Lord. He's worthy of our praise and our adoration and our everything. And he was tired. Physically, he was tired. When he met the woman at the well, it, it said that Jesus was tired. His physical body was aching with tiredness. The God who never slept or slumber in the Psalms, it says, now needed a rest and go to sleep. 
and he walked everywhere. He didn't just pick up a phone and call for a cab or a bus, go to National Express. In John 4.3, it says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. How far is that, Judea to Galilee? 70 miles. And if you have to go via Samaria, it's 120 miles. Four or five days straight walking. When was the last time we walked to four or five days? It's aching, isn't it? I did a few hours sorting out the gravel and cars, and I was, oh, I, mean, I was aching. And I complain. We complain if we have to go anywhere and walk anywhere. We always get the car now, and Jesus walked everywhere. The Lord God says in Psalm 104.3, he says, He makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. Now he's walking everywhere, as far as his two sore feet can take him. Humility. Humility of Jesus. And the baptism. He didn't announce his baptism. He just quietly joined the back of the queue at someone else's revival meeting. John the Baptist had a revival meeting going on. Jesus just snuck at the back. There was many of the hundreds and hundreds of people and waited his turn. And John the Baptist says, I can't baptize you. It is right to do so, he says. Let's just do it. And at the end of the, the baptism, he didn't do a big speech, didn't do a big sermon. Big announcement, all the crowds cheering. No. He went to the wilderness for 40 days and fasted. Denied himself the basic ingredient that we need to live. <laughs> that would have been painful. <laughs> and the short words after that fasting was, he was hungry. Really. He was hungry. The humility of the word. Hungry. I struggle after 40 minutes of fasting, let alone 40 days. When we do our fasting, we, you know, after a day, it's like, God, give me the strength. <laughs> isn't it it's tough but it's discipline if Jesus can do it so can we if you can do 40 days though maybe you need to give up work for 40 days and get lost alone somewhere and <laughs> but uh, it just shows the humility of him and in Matthew eight twenty, Jesus says foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man nowhere to lay his head he was homeless <laughs> he was homeless he didn't have a, a mansion ready for him to do his ministry. I'll set up my home here while I just live here, while I do my ministry. And go back home every night. He had nowhere to lay his head. Okay, he did gate crush a few parties and invited himself around a few places. But he was God, after all. <laughs> but why all this humility? Because it's love in action for us, for you. Because he loved you. Because he loved you. And he loved you. That's how humble he was. Because he loved you. You know, and washing disciples' feet. Humility. Getting down. Washing disciples' feet. And before Pilate, as he's been cursed and beaten, just receiving that. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. This is love in action, you see him. Everything Jesus did was love in action. And what I like about Jesus as well is his brutal honesty. He was honest through his journey. He did it with honesty. 
Now, some people don't like to, to be told something because it hurts. The truth hurts. And Jesus wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't say things to hurt people's feelings, would he? No, of course not. Well, imagine being invited out as dinner guests. You're, you're going to dinner somewhere and there's a, uh, a queen turn up or, or a real high-level guest turning up. And you're being told to welcome this person in a certain manner. But the person turns up and you say, hello, you're right there. How you doing? Oh, imagine the shock horror in the room. You didn't receive the guest the way you should have done. But we read in a story of Jesus here in Luke 11, 37 to 39. Luke 11, 37 to 39. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Wow. That must have been a real party atmosphere going on there when he turned up and said that. But I just love, when you really get into this, I love the way Jesus just, uh, he goes in and it's ceremonial. Washing the hands before the meal, it's all part of the religious orthodox. It's part of all the thing they were doing. Washing your hands and sitting at the table. But Jesus used this symbolism of washing your hands, the cups, to show them what was in their hearts. That outwardly they were just like, we are clean. But inside they, were filthy. they weren't keeping God's laws. They were, not, they were going away from what God wanted for them. So Jesus would walk in. I need a chair. There's a chair. Ah, there's a chair. So imagine the scene. Jesus would walk in. The ceremonial bowl for washing's there. Comes straight in. Sits at the table waiting for his dinner. Oh, I like this chair. I might do my sermon from here. He sits down. He's waiting for his dinner. He reclines at the table. And he's clocked the Pharisee. Looking. Oh, the washing your hand bit. Oh, well, you're filthy on the inside. Brutal honesty. Why is he so honest? Because he loves him. Sometimes the truth hurts. There's a tense atmosphere there in that dinner. If you go to the doctors and he knows you may have terminal cancer, but it's four months later you find out that he knew, but he never told you. And you go back to him and say, why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want to make you sad. But we could have started the treatment four or five months earlier. Or perhaps the doctor, he never had the courage. And sometimes we don't have the courage to be honest sometimes with people. We're happy to see people spiral out of control into sin or whatever it may be without being honest and bringing them up to account. It's a loving thing to do. Pray about that. Seek God's counsel in that. And then rebuke with love your brother or sister. That's the loving thing to do. And receive it with love. Now, Jesus' Jesus' journey here. It is not just a nice little poetry book sitting under the palm trees reading a nice little saying. Everyone feels fluffy and lovely and a nice little quote here. 
bringing peace. Sometimes he's honest and truthful. I am the way, the truth, the life, says Jesus in 14.6, John. It's divisive. Jesus' honesty brings division. It challenges us. That's why the cross of Jesus sometimes offends, because it requires you to make a decision. God does not want anyone to perish. In 2 Peter, it says, that The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord loves everyone. He's, he's, he's giving you the choice. And sometimes we're so far, our hearts are so hard, that it requires a rebuke so strong, like a hammer to smash rocks, says the Bible, to, to us to get it, to get the truth. Now, my wife over the last 11 years has been my biggest rebuker. She has. But in my pride in the early years, I, I didn't like it. I thought, no, you know, I'm, I, I, no, I'm not like that, or I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't say this. Or, but I've realized that she's wise. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she said amen to that. She might even get bigger, amen. And she's always right. <laughs> and the women say amen. No, but I've realized that it's good to receive it. And I know she's doing it with love. In the beginning, I didn't get that. And I just thought it was an attack on me or something. It was like, a, no, I'm doing all right, thank you. Or, no, this is good, this system I'm doing at work. Or whatever it may have been. But now when Lily gives me a bit of advice, she's wise, she's a wise woman. She knows Jesus. She loves him and adores him and seeks his face every minute of every day. So if she comes with a word or advice, I'm going to listen to it. Proverbs eleven twelve it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's important. So receive the Lord's discipline with love. No one's perfect. We all need help sometimes. We all need to be told where we're going wrong. We all need to be told this area is not right. So listen to it with love because the Bible says so. And I love this, Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? An honest answer. But sometimes an honest answer isn't what you really want to hear. <laughs> So if you're told you've got cancer, it's like kissing the lips because it's the truth. The truth is like the kiss on the lips. The truth. There's another story where Jesus again invites himself from someone's house. In Luke 10, he's at Mary and Martha's house, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, Martha's busy doing all the pots and pans, preparing the food. And her sister Mary's at the feet of Jesus, listening to the words of the king. And Martha's looking around, thinking, Mary, Mary's not doing much, is she? 
Who's had those feelings before? You're doing all the dinner. Someone else is just sitting around. You know. <laughs> Lily's good in the kitchen. I'm just sitting around waiting for the food. <laughs> anyway. Where was I? Yeah. Looks around and, says, and goes up to the Lord. Lord, Lord, look at me. I'm busy here. Look at Mary. Now, she thinks that Jesus is going to side with her. Now, Jesus is very wise. He's not going to get into any sibling rivalry here or... He's not going to get in the middle of these two sisters, surely. He'll calm the situation. He'll marry. Maybe we should go and give Martha a hand in the kitchen. You know, let's give into her righteousness at this moment, shall we? No, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Mary's chosen what's right. It's like a boom, a wound. Jesus rebuked her. But it was a soft rebuke because Martha had a softer heart. When Jesus rebuked the Pharisee about the washing of hands, it was a hard rebuke because he had a harder heart. It was a strong and a forceful rebuke. But they're both done with love. They're both done with love. Jesus came in the world to save us, not to read poetry. He came in the world to save us. And sometimes the truth hurts. There's a dying world out there. The world needs to know the truth. But he's done with love. Everything we need to do is done with love. Hallelujah. And he had the courage and the boldness to do it. And we need sometimes to have that boldness and courage too. And pray about it. If we feel in your heart that a brother or sister is going away or doing something, we need to pray and fast about it and then approach them. And just trust God to give us the words as we, we speak to them with love. With love. Hallelujah. 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 Do you think Jesus on his journey was all boring and monotone? As him and his 12 disciples are going around on their journey, was it all boring? Or do you think on the journey there was joy? I reckon Jesus was the joker of the pack. I believe God is the author of joy. I think God created joy. Jesus' journey was with joy. Your journey needs to be with joy. If we're going to evangelize, we need to do it with joy. Not, have you heard about Jesus? He died for me. You know. It's true. It's true, isn't it? It's so true. Some people make their... Their past life, the more exciting bit. Cool, yeah, I remember when I was in nightclubs drinking. Oh, man, yeah, what a day. Yeah, then I met Jesus. <laughs> and that was, a, I must admit, that was a bit of that in, in my early days as Christianity. I thought, have I given away the world for this seriousness of Christianity? And there was a bit of that. And when I was telling my testimony, I was thinking, yeah, I did leave all that behind. And yeah, now I'm following Jesus. But then I got the joy. <laughs> then I got the joy. I know a song about joy. How does it go now? I feel the joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible is full of joy. King David had the joy and he was a man of God. And do you think Jesus didn't have joy on his journey? Hallelujah. 
When Jesus had dinner parties, he was there cracking the jokes about the barber, I'm sure. He would have been. He said, cool, have you heard the one about this Jewish guy who wanted to, to find the wilderness beast? No, no, what was that, Jesus? Well, this guy in the wilderness beast, he went to look for him. Then he found him, but in his fear, he ran away. And he kept running and he tripped over. And as he looked up, the beast came upon him. <gasps> what happened then, Jesus? Well, he, he, picked, he picked the man up and he prayed, Father, make this beast a Christian. So he picked him up. Oh, Father, with what we're about to receive, make us truly grateful. <laughs> Jesus' is joy. Hallelujah. You like that one, Gandalf? Jesus is beautiful. The Holy Spirit brings joy. We need refreshing on our journey. When you've been ministering or you've been working, there are moments when you need the Holy Spirit joy. You need the joy of the Lord. You know, in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, people thought that the disciples and the followers were all drunk. But what do they do? Slurring their words, speaking other tongues, falling around, lying on the floor, laughing. What they? they were drunk. Now, we like quotes. I've got a good quote. I wrote this one myself. <laughs> Hashtag Steve, right? <laughs> It's not on there. It's here. You can't copy it, right? It says, Drunk people in the world think they're having a good time. Drunk people in the spirit know they're having a good time. Hallelujah. (laughs) And drunk people in the spirit, we're having a work done on us. And when we wake up in the morning, we're feeling great and better and glorified and much more knowing Jesus. Whereas a drunk in the world has got a massive hangover and has to call in sick and feel sick. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It refreshes. We've needed it. We've, we've, we've had moments with the Holy Spirit where Jesus completely just comes in the room one day and just refreshes us. It's laughing. It's joy. Jesus is Joy. Hallelujah. Desiring Jesus is what we need to do. And it's our greatest happiness. To love the Lord with all our heart and mind and soul is his commandment. And to share your daily life with him. In everything you do as the, as the disciples did. They shared their lives with him. And he wants to share your life with you. It gives us joy when we express Jesus in our lives. This morning, just walking around the park and just praying and seeing, just, I knew he was with me. Just praising him for his creation. And his Holy Spirit is here. It's here. Luke 10, 21. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He rejoices when we're doing the works for him. Because the disciples here were coming back from, from praying for the sick and, and casting out demons and doing the work that Jesus commanded them. And Jesus says, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he said. If he can be full of joy, we can be full of joy. Come on, Christians, we need smiling faces full of joy. You're saved. It's good news. Hallelujah. 
We've got to be prepared. This church one day is going to have so much joy through this place. The Holy Spirit will come in and do great and wondrous things. Glory to God. You know, when you go on a mission with team members, you have, an inter- you have internal jokes, don't you? You, you? you grow up a band of camaraderie, if you like. We just got back from Malta, Jerry and I, Lisa and Rita and, and, and Harsh and Raya. And we, there were some moments of wondrous laughing and laughing and funniness, you know. And I mean, I'm sure Jesus would have been there and he would have made jokes about, of course, Sonny and Malta, we need a hat, Rita. You've got a hat, Rita, but Rita's not here. So if you want to know about the hat story, Rita, if you're listening, if you're listening online, Rita, it's about your hats again. Rita will understand. Ask her about them. She has a, a wardrobe full of hats for sunny climates. And also we know other things that happened in Malta. You know, in our group, we had moments together of internal laughing at the airport, queuing back through. You know, the, the, you know the EasyJet Ryanair lines are massively long, aren't they? The whole queue is, you know, sad and disappointed. But there was us. We were rolling on the floor laughing. We were cracking. It was brilliant. The Holy Spirit was there. And we were telling good jokes about the fish and things. (laughs) Jesus was the most social person you can imagine. To be around Jesus, you would have had experienced every facet of his life, including his joy. Pure and innocent joy. Beautiful. He had a humorous side. And when you get that humorous side to his character, some of the stories in the Bible have a different meaning all of a sudden. Because you're getting behind his personality. When Simon Peter came in after he was challenged by the Pharisees, about, they asked him, does your master pay the temple tax? He walked into the house where Jesus was preparing some food. But Jesus already knew that he was coming behind him. Without looking around, he says, so what do you think, Simon Peter? Do you think we should pay the tax? And all he does is command him to go fishing, pick out a fish, and have the tax inside the fish's mouth. Very abstract story, really. But you put his personality, his humor about it. It teaches obedience to a crazy notion. But what does it tell us about the master? Some of his stories are illogical. But there's a humor to it. There's a, a, a human side of it that bursts for the fog of religion. He's personal. I love him so much. He's everything to me. The more I get into this, these kind of stories and understanding him personally, it changes your life. That's what you need when you're going out there to being a witness to people. This is a free haircut because my barber gave me a free haircut when I was giving him the gospel. Good job he didn't shave. But he did. Just witnessing. He says, what do you do? So, well, I, I, I restore stone buildings and I actually do some work in the church. And that was it. The floodgates opened. I was just telling him the gospel and he goes, I'm feeling goosebumps. And he stopped cutting my hair. He said, what's, what's up? He goes, I can't cut your hair. I've got goosebumps. He started shaking. So I ended up praying for him and his assistant. He goes, I've never felt this before. I've got a free haircut. There you have. If you want a free haircut, evangelize. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Down King Street. His name's Adam, funny enough. 
Jesus' name's Adam. Uh, hallelujah. Thank God for the joy. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Proverbs 17:22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Proverbs 15:13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Just to know Jesus, I just want these facets in my life. I love it when people go, if I go somewhere and people say, I like you because you always cheer the office up. Well, you know, it's it's because of this. I've got the joy of Jesus in me. I want to tell people about Jesus. And just being, just going somewhere smiling, people think you're weird. Oh, you make a difference to you. I'm just smiling. But it's not, it's the radiance of Christ. You spend time with the Lord. You'll be like Moses. You'll be like Moses. He had to cover a veil over his face because the radiance of being with the Lord was so intense. That's what we want. Spending time with him, you'll bring the radiance of God down. God is so good. God is the author of joy. Right in the beginning, really, with Abraham and Sarah. Imagine these two old geriatrics sitting there and the angels coming down and saying, Sarah, this time next year you're going to have a baby. She's in her 90s. And Abraham laughed. They laughed. You were laughing. No, we weren't. Yes, you were. You were laughing. And little did they know they'd be swapping their Zimmer frames for push chairs. <laughs> and they had Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. Throughout the Bible, there's every facet of human life sadness, death, but there's also joy. We need joy. On our journey with Jesus. Embrace those moments. If you're going through a tough time in your home or whatever, invite me and Lily around. We'll have a dinner and then we'll have joy. <laughs> right? We'll have a joyous night. We'll have the Holy Spirit. We'll just do some laughing. We'll have joy. I need him. I need the environment. I want to be drunk in his presence. If it's good enough for the disciples and Pentecost, it's good enough for me. We need to yield to him, to yield to his spirit, to his calling on our lives. We need to yield to him. Can I have some keys, Max? Thanks. We need to yield. When you're listening to the pull strings of God on your heart and you say, I want you, Lord, I want you, Lord. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe he's there. And then you've got to yield to him. Just give it all. Surrender it all. This is real, people. This is real. But you've got to yield to him. You've got to say, I need you more than the air I breathe. We were singing the songs, I need you, I need you, I want to know you more. And to do that, you've got to yield to him, surrender your life to him, cut things out of your life that are taking you away from him, that aren't good for you, that are not growing you, and replace it with the thing that you will grow with. His presence. His presence. Some people think I'm a radical bit sometimes in the world because I don't do this anymore, don't do that. It's not because I'm desiring him above all things. I'm desiring him. I want Jesus more than Arsenal. They filled my life for many years and what a waste of time that was. (laughs) I still haven't won the European Cup.
God is my God is my life. It makes a difference to your life. You know, sometimes I think about if I didn't follow Jesus and I still follow him, the things of the world, it'd be empty. I would have tried to be replacing it still. I was, I'd have still been going to football and the same old results every week, frustration. Wenger's still the manager. It just goes on and on. Never ends. But the life of Jesus is exciting. And Jeremy said, I'm not a young man, but I am young in spirit. I am young. I'm going to serve the Lord every day of my life. I'm going to preach his name. I'm going to preach the blood. I'm going to preach the cross. He's all I need. And when I get him, he gives me everything I want. That satisfies me. I'm satisfied with my wife, satisfied with my children. I'm happy at my job. He gives me the things that I need that will complement me. And I love the church. This is Jesus' church. And I love the church. And I love every single one of you. And I just pray that Jesus will reveal more of his personality on you today. Just embrace him. Get close to him. Seek him with all you've got. You know, in Jesus, on his journey... He did it with all these facets, and I've only touched on a few, humility, honesty, and joy, but there's so much more. But he did it all to completion. He did it all to completion, and we need to do our journey to completion too. Jesus did tenacity, vigor, strength, playfulness, all these other things he had along his journey. But it also displayed other human attributes. He needed courage. And he suffered as we suffered with grief, sorrow, loneliness, and abandonment. He suffered pain physically and emotionally. From heaven to earth to the cross, he humbled himself. He displayed all these facets of human emotion. Sometimes we feel, well, God. You've never felt this. I feel lonely and abandoned and griefs all over me. Oh, yes, he has. Oh, yes, he has. He knows exactly what you're feeling. On the night of his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his soul started to fill with sorrow and grief. Some knots going on. He, he was struggling. Jesus, God, the man, now was struggling physically and emotionally. And he brought his disciples with them. And why? Because he knew that there was a moment coming where he was going to be abandoned. And he was fearful of being alone. I don't want to be alone. Jesus said, I don't want to be alone. I'm going to be abandoned. Come with me, guys. Just stay here for a moment. I'm just going to pray, but just stay awake. So he went away and prayed to the Father. And he goes, God... Why am I feeling this way? Grief-stricken, sorrowful. And he goes back to the guys and they're asleep. Guys, can you stay awake? Why is he crying this? Because he is fearful of being alone. He's being abandoned. He doesn't like it. No one likes it. Now Jesus is feeling this exact way. Stay awake, guys. And he goes back again to the Father. God, take away this cup, Lord, if it's your will. Take away this cup of suffering that I'm going to go through, Lord. And then he goes back again. They're still sleeping. And he gives up. 
He's now accepted that he's going to be alone. He's going to go through it alone. Arrested, beaten. Alone. Can we grasp his humility at all? John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I bow my knee to you, Jesus. I bow my knee to you, Lord. You deserve your coronation, Jesus. You deserve, you deserve your coronation, God. You deserve your crown, Lord. I thank you, Lord, Jesus, that you taught us so many things. And we just pray, God, that we'll have a hunger and a thirst to learn more about your attributes, to fall in love with you more, to help us on our journey to God. May we display these facets, Lord. Humility and honesty and joy, vigor, strength, boldness, courage, and all the other ones, Lord. Lord, there are too many words beyond description, Lord. Father, all the preachers in the world to come and gone cannot describe your humility together, God. No one can. Because you are beautiful beyond description. You're too marvelous for words. And we stand in awe of you, Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.